Well, hey guys, so glad y'all here with us um, this morning, and we're gonna jump right into a, a, our second week of a series called Buckle Up. If you'd like to get the notes for today's message, you can uh, do whatever the screen's telling you to do right there, and you can get those, get those notes. Um, but this series is called Buckle Up, and we're looking at our part in God's story. Now, speaking of this driving theme, how, do, how many of y'all have a perfect driving record? Raise your hand if you have a perfect, y'all have kids, like me, okay? Anybody a perfect driving record in here? Okay, a couple of y'all. My grandmother, she died in her 80s and she had a perfect driving record. Uh, it was just spotless. I couldn't believe it. Well, I don't have a perfect driving record at all. And I remember um, several years ago, we were down in West Texas, just wide open spaces. And you can really fly in West Texas. You know, there's nothing around you. It's just flat and you're going. And I remember going to a, a couple hours away. It was a high school basketball game for the local high school. And I was driving and I went to this town. You know those little towns are like speed traps? You know, you got to make sure you slow down over there. That's how they get the revenue, right? So, so the, you got to slow down. And I'm, I'm going through there, and I slowed down. And then as I went through town, the speed limit jumped to 55. And so I got up to 55, and uh, with this big curve uh, was in the road. And as I'm, as I'm passing the 55-mile-per-hour sign, I looked, and I saw there was a 70-mile-an-hour sign, about 100 yards in front. And so I just hit the gas, right, and just boom, right it back up to 70, hit, the, hit cruise control again. And as soon as I, about, well, I was right about to pass the 70 miles per hour sign, here comes a cop the other way. And I looked at my rearview mirror, like, oh, no, please don't turn around. You know, like, please don't turn around. And all of a sudden, the lights turned on. He flips around, and he pulls me over. And, guys, I was in a minivan, okay? So if you're in a minivan, you get pulled over, you're, you're doing something right, right? And so I get, I get pulled over, and I'm like, come on, man. What, what, I, I didn't know what was going on. He said, man, I caught you speeding. And I was going 55, and I had, when you saw the 70 mile an hour sign, what do you do? You speed up so that you're going 70 miles an hour, right, when you hit that sign, right? And he pulled me over because I was going too fast. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, give me some grace, man. And he wouldn't. He didn't give me any grace. I got a ticket. And I, it was like a couple hundred dollars of the fine. It was, it was awful. Um, but, man, you know, when I, was, when I was driving, I looked down and I saw my speedometer, right? And I saw how fast I was going. I looked at this, this dashboard that we all have in our cars, and today, that's what I'd like for us to do. Last week, we, we talked about um, where we've been as a church. And this week, I want to talk about where we are. And in, in a way, to look at our dashboard, to see how fast we're going, how much fuel we have in the take, so to speak. And so it's kind of a state of the, the church kind of message um, for today. So last week, we, we looked at Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if your Bible's turned there, that's where we're going to be today. Um, in fact, we're going to be there next week as well. But in verses 11 and 12, Paul describes what a church should be about, what a biblical church um, should look like. And he talked about how um, it's a, where, where people matter, that we should persuade others to follow Christ, and how we should have a sincere heart or a sincere, real ministry. And we looked about, at, at our past and said, you know what, that's how Central has been. Since 1963, that is what our church has been about. But then he says this in verse 13. Get this. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all 
that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So in these three verses, I see this blueprint for, for us, for, a, for us to be a biblically healthy church. And not only a blueprint for our church, but it can be like a guide for you personally and for me personally as we strive to live for Christ. It can be this, this guide for our personal walk with God. And so here's what I want to do today. I just want us to just to go through this, these verses, these three verses. We'll kind of, kind of break them up, okay? So you have your Bibles, just, just stick there, and that's where we'll be. So let's look at the very beginning of verse 13. Here's what it says. It says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. What Paul is literally saying is that if we are crazy, if people think we are crazy, then it's for God. Have you ever known a crazy person? Like truly a crazy person, right? Anybody? Anybody next to you, crazy person? Okay, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe you're the crazy person, I don't know. But I've known some crazy people in my life. And this is how people viewed Paul. They thought he was crazy. The things that he was doing were just out of this world. They were different. And people really thought that he was crazy. If you go back to the book of Acts, which, which describes and records a lot of Paul's ministry, we see a couple times where he did some crazy things. In Acts chapter 14, he was in this city called Lystra. And he was preaching, and they didn't like it one bit. And so they, they grabbed Paul, and they began to stone him. And in the biblical times, stoning was a death sentence, because you didn't just take, like, a little pebble and, like, throw it and hit someone in the head. You took a big stone, and not only you, but everybody around you, you put that person in the middle, and you began to chunk stones and rocks at this person until they were unconscious, and then you literally beat them to death. And that's what they thought they did to Paul. So Paul, you can imagine, he's probably unconscious because they thought he was dead. And so they, they get his, his lifeless body and they drag it out of the city. And they probably took it to the dump because outside the city, they always had a place where they put all the trash. And they, would, they went and probably literally threw him um, on top of the trash and thought he was dead. They went back into the city, high-fiving each other, thought that they had taken care of Paul. But Paul didn't die. Paul was close to death, but he came to. And if that had happened to you, or if that had happened to me, what would we have probably done? We probably would have kept going, right? Like, okay, I'm not going back into that city. You know what the Bible says? It says that Paul, he gets up and he goes back into town. Like, who does that, right? I mean, that's, that's crazy. Why would you go back into a place where people are trying to kill you? But Paul did that over and over and over again. There's several times where he does things that are absolutely crazy. In Acts chapter 26, we read about his testimony. And Paul is, is teaching, he's actually preaching to a bunch of, not believers, but he was actually on trial, about to be sent to Rome. And there's this Roman governor there, and he is preaching to him, and he tells him about how God had saved him. So it's a story that we've all read and all heard about Jesus appearing to Paul on the road to Damascus. And and he's telling this story, which is an incredible, crazy story. And at the end, Festus, this governor, says, you're out of your mind. Like, record, that's literally what the Bible says. You are out of your mind. And Paul's like, I'm not out of my mind. I'm not crazy. But you guys, you see this. Only a person who, who is utterly devoted to God would do things that are crazy. Do things that are not normal. That people would look at you and go, you know what? Why are you doing that? That, that, is, that is nuts. People who are, who are radically devoted to God. And I think there's a message for us today, and, and the message is this, that a biblical church has radical faith. In fact, Jesus, he calls us to, to have this kind of faith. And there's some passages in the Bible that sometimes I just want to like skip over because 
it, it causes me to take a, take a look at my life and go, man, okay, am I really living that way? But Jesus says something in Luke chapter 14. There's, there's a couple verses here, and it's just something I, sometimes I want to pass over, but, but I think it's, we need to read this. Here's what he says. In verse 26 of Luke chapter 14, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whew, right? I mean, come on, Jesus. Back off just a little bit, man. Right? He says, if you don't hate people compared to loving me, then you, you, can't, you can't be my disciple. In the very next verse, he says, and whoever does not carry their own cross and follow me can't be my disciple. And so, Jesus, you're, you're telling me I've got to suffer just like you suffered? I've got to carry this cross around in my life? And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's the mark of a true believer is suffering. You have to do that to be my disciple. And then a couple of verses later in verses 33, he says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. And that's a, that's a tough task. Those are, <laughs> those are verses I want to just go, oh, okay, we're just going to skip over that and get to the good stuff, right? But man, we need to pause here and look at that. That's what Jesus is calling his believers to do, to have this radical faith, to do things that are totally different than the rest of the world would think is normal. Look at his disciples, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the fishermen, they were, they were called to follow Jesus. And there's this great story in Matthew chapter 4. And they did something pretty radical. Look at it. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once, this is kind of crazy, once they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, so the three of them are going along, and he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, and they were preparing their nets to go out and fish, because that was their livelihood. And Jesus called them, and immediately they, get this, they left the boat and their father and followed him. That's pretty crazy. Because think about this. What are they leaving behind? I mean, think about it. What, what, are, they, what are they giving up? Well, they were giving up their income. So if they're giving up their income, they're giving up their financial security, they're giving up um, their home, they're giving up food, they're giving up clothing, they're giving up retirement, they're giving up comfort, they're giving up their safety and social status, and get this, they're even literally giving up their family. You see, Simon, he was married. He had to go home and say, hey, honey, I'm home. Um, Jesus came by, I'm out. Right? I got to go, right? I mean, you can imagine the conversation they had, right? Paul, uh, uh, Simon Peter said, I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got to follow Jesus. And there's times in our lives where Jesus calls us to literally to, to drop our nets, right? And to do radical things. I think about if a lot of times we've been Christians for so long that we, we look at our lives, think it's pretty normal, pretty, you know, common. But if an unbeliever, if I was an unbeliever and came into this room, and I had no idea what Christianity was about, but I'd kind of seen how we were living. I might ask some questions like, why in the world do you give 10% of your income to the church? You know what you could do with that 10%? I mean, you could have a boat, you could go on vacation, you could do a lot of stuff, you have a nicer house. You know, you wouldn't have to buy the base model of that car. You could get like the luxury model of that car. I mean, there's a lot of things you could do with that money. Why in the world would you give that money to the church? Why would you spend your Sundays at church? Man, you could sleep in, Woo, right? You could sleep in. 
You could watch football, man. You could go on vacation. You go to the lake. You could do a lot of things besides going to church every single Sunday. Why do you spend your vacation time going on a mission trip? Why do you spend your, your good, hard-earned money to give to missions? Why do you do that? Why do you pray to an invisible guy? <laughs> From an outsider's perspective, that might look kind of weird and kind of crazy, a little radical. But I think one of the, the craziest things that we do as Christians is we forgive people. We forgive people who do not deserve it. And from the outside looking in, that's pretty crazy and pretty radical. And I think for a believer in Christ who is really radical in their faith, they have to answer this question with a resounding yes. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Is he worth giving up everything for? Because for Paul, he was. And so Paul says this. He says, if I'm crazy, it's for God. If I do crazy things that are not normal, it is for him. But he doesn't, he doesn't end there. He, he continues on in the second part of that verse and says, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. So it's this, this contrast here. He says, if I'm crazy, it's for God. And if I'm in my right mind, it is for you. And what this, this word be, or this phrase being in our, your right mind, what he's literally saying is, if I'm sober, okay, if I have sobriety, and so someone who's not sober is, that, you know, someone, they don't, they don't think right, they don't make uh, correct decisions, and they're unreliable. And, and Paul's saying, Paul's saying, look, I, I'm, I'm radical for God. I'm going to do crazy things for God because, you know what, he's done everything for me. I, and, and I love him so much, I'm going to do some crazy things. But you know what, I'm also serious about ministry. I'm so serious that, and it's so important to me, that I have a plan. That I got a plan. And I believe the Bible is teaching us a, a second principle here today that a biblical church follows a strategic plan. A church that is doing things for God has to have a plan. And Central Baptist Church has a plan, guys. From newborns to newlyweds to uh, new wrinkles over there, okay? All, everybody in between. Central has a plan for all of you. We have a plan for people um, who are less fortunate. We have this incredible benevolence ministry. We love to, to help people throughout the week uh, who come and they, they need a, a helping hand. And we do that. We have this amazing um, preschool over here called Grand Central Kids. And on Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, we have 200 kids every single week over here hearing about Jesus. We have a plan for those people. We have a plan for those families. And I wanted to just uh, ask our staff, I said, you know, I think the church needs to hear from you and instead of from me about what is the plan for Central. And so I had them uh, just give me a couple quotes and we'll throw them up on the screen to talk about um, what are the plans for our church. And so the first uh, one I want to quote is Deborah, uh, our children's minister. And she says this about the children's ministry, that the preschool and children's ministry is focused on building a Biblical foundation for our children through basic Bible study, through Bible skills, memorization of verses, and building relationships. And I love what she says. She says, we're the floor joists of the church. That is the plan for our kids' ministry. For our youth ministry, Noah says this, the student ministry is focused on serving, living, and loving for the purpose of being like Jesus and reaching teenagers. The plan for our youth ministry is to be like Jesus to those teenagers and to reach them with the gospel. With our adult ministry and our administrative ministry, Matt says that our adult Sunday school ministry has open groups for anyone who wants to build relationships, to, who wants to be, be involved in ministry and study God's word with the purpose of making disciples. Our, our Sunday school ministry, the purpose is for us to make, a, make disciples. That is our plan. 
And think about this. The administration of our church also has a plan. He says the administration of Central is the framework in which the ministries of the church exist. This can range from upkeep of the facility and grounds to the support staff who maintain it all. Everything you see around here, it wouldn't exist, wouldn't happen if it weren't for administration behind the scenes making sure it all happens. Ryland, our worship pastor, says this about our worship and media ministry. He says the purpose of our worship ministry is to lead our church with authenticity and excellence while creating avenues for people to biblically worship Jesus. That is the plan for our worship ministry. And he says this about our media ministry. The purpose is to utilize modern mediums to tell a timeless message. And that is so true. It's a great way of putting it. And Kevin our senior adult and crisis counseling pastor says this, that the senior adult ministry is focused on the celebration of senior adults for the purpose of fulfilling their gospel call in the golden age of their lives. He told me aside, he said, I know it's kind of corny, but they'll love it, okay? Just say it, they'll love it. <laughs> the senior adults will love it. But, but really, that, that's our plan for senior adults, right? And our crisis counseling ministry is also focused on walking with people through some of the, the darkest times of their lives for the purpose of healing the heart. Everything you see here at Central, from the worship services to the, the classrooms to the big events we do to our online presence, everything has a plan and purpose. And a biblical church has a, has a plan, and we do as well. And, and in fact, our plan, what it does is it, it, it provides feet for our radical faith. But Paul doesn't end there. There's more. In verse 14, he goes on and says, for Christ's love compels us. He describes Christ's love. He says, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He says, Jesus died for us. How incredible is that love? That's, that's big time love. So the question after Paul is, why would you live this way? Why would you do the things that you just described in verse 13? Why would you have this crazy radical faith? And why would you live your life not for yourself, but for other people and focused on other people? And I think the answer that Paul would give us would be that, he would say, because that's the way that Jesus lived. Jesus, he sacrificed all for people. And he had a plan in the middle of his ministry. You see, Paul, he was, he was overcome by the sacrifice and love of Christ. He was inspired by Jesus. And I think there's a third principle for us today from this, this passage, and it's that a biblical church is inspired by Jesus. Here at Central, we're inspired by the love of Christ and the things that Jesus did and the sacrifice that he has made for everyone. It's, it's literally like the fuel that allows us to do verse 13. It is the fuel for us. I was thinking about, it's kind of like, I, I love cartoons, man. I used to watch cartoons when, I, when our kids were, were growing up. And there was this movie called Turbo that came out um, several years ago. But it was, it was about the snail that wanted to race. And I'm sorry, snails are super slow, okay? And so at the very beginning of the movie, man, these snails like to race, and they put on the, the uniforms, they put on the helmets, but they were just like, boop, 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 and we're super slow, right? Until this guy named Turbo, he is, he is on next to a freeway watching all these cars go by, boom, 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 real fast. And then all of a sudden he gets sucked into the engine of this, this drag racing Chevrolet Camaro. 
And as he's going through the engine, this nitrous oxide gets like pumped into the engine and somehow it, it changes his DNA. And all of a sudden his DNA fuses with this nitrous oxide, this blue like goo. And he goes out the other end and he's like super fast and he can like race real race cars and wins these big races. It's kind of a, you know, pretty obvious, you know, crazy story. But it's the fuel, right? It's the fuel he needed in As a biblical church, we are a church that is inspired by Jesus. He is our fuel. And so we give because Jesus, he gave us everything. We invite people to Jesus because Jesus calls us to follow him. We share the good news because Jesus, he preached the gospel. And we love because Jesus first loved us. And sometimes we're great at it. We nail it. Sometimes we're just crushing it. But... You know, sometimes we fall short. So if you're driving down the road and, and you look at this a dashboard and you're, you're driving, what do you see? You see your speedometer. You see how fast you're going. You look at your RPMs. If you're a car guy, you're like, I, that's my RPMs going on right now. You look at how much fuel you have in the tank. You look at your temperature gauge. If you have navigation, you're seeing what direction you're going. You're looking at the time. You're looking at, at the, the, the radio and seeing what tunes you're listening to. Well, that's what we've done today. We've looked at Central and looked at where we are. Not where we've been, not where we're going, but where are we right now in our present reality. And so we are a church that has radical faith. We are a church that has a plan. We are, we are a church that is inspired by Jesus. But there is another verse in this passage that I think we need to look at. And it's in verse 15. Paul says, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. When you're driving down the road, you're going the speed, you got a full tank of gas, everything seems fine until this check engine light comes on, right? You guys are already like feeling the stomach churn. You know what it feels like when the check engine light comes on because you have no idea what's going on, right? I mean, you're, you're just driving, you're like, what is, am, I, am I about to explode? I mean, am I about to cause a wreck? Um, how much is this? Is this going to be thousands of dollars for me to fix? I mean, what is going on? And I believe this verse is a check engine light for us. It says, he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. I think it's telling us this final principle for today, and it's that the secret ingredient to a biblical church is a willingness to change. Is willingness for us to do something different. Because we're we're like that, right? I mean, it's pretty natural for us to be selfish. Like, if you're driving a a truck down a, a muddy road that people have driven down before you, what are those ruts, right? And it's easy to slip into those ruts and it's very difficult to get out of those ruts. Sometimes you're just like, I just gotta go for it, you know? And you just keep going. But we are kind of in a rut and it's kind of a check engine light for us. And I, and I think this, you know, this verse kind of, It hits kind of close to home for, for me and our staff, and, and I think it's, it's going to hit home for all of us that there is this check engine light that we need to look at. And I have a buddy um, who had this old car, and back in Texas, you have to get 
your car inspected every year. What a bummer, you know right? And this check engine light and this old, this old car he had kept going off. And so he took apart his dash and he put like a black electrical tape over that check engine light, you know, and then just put it all back together and goes to get inspected. He's like, woo, everything's perfect, right? But here's the deal. We can't cover it up. We cannot cover up the check engine light that is going on. And so I wanted to, can't think of any better way than just to show you on the screen um, some charts of the, of the check engine light for us that we cannot cover up. So the first one I wanted to show you is um, a chart that shows our membership numbers for the last eight years. Since 2013 to, to 2020, there is the, the chart that, that represents uh, our membership. In 2013, we had 965 members. 2020, we ended the year with 780. That's a 185 net loss or 20% of our church in eight years. There's another slide that shows our Sunday school attendance. For the last 16 years, pretty much since we've been in this building, we had some ups and downs, um, but 2005, we started out with 451 people in average attendance in Sunday school. And in 2020, we finished with 278. That's 173 people that have lost, we've lost. That's 38%. 38% of our church in 16 years. There's another one final um, chart that shows our worship attendance. Over the last 10 years, in 2014, we had a high of 435 in average attendance. And at the end of 2020, we averaged 280. I know you might say that's COVID, that's just COVID, but that also includes our online people as well. 280, that's 155 people lost or 36% of our church in the last 10 years. You know that the, the median size of a Southern Baptist church is only 70 people? Majority of, of Baptist, Southern Baptist churches, over 40,000 of them, the, the average is 70 people. And so what that tells me is that since we've moved into this building, we've lost two churches. We've lost two churches in that amount of time. And if you take that, there's a, there's a red trend line. I guess I'll go this way. There's a red trend line that shows the path and direction of our church. And if you carry that on, and our staff, we've done the, run the numbers, we've carried that on. If we continue to go down this path, we have 17 years before this church closes. And that's something that <laughs> I don't want to preach that sermon. <laughs> I don't want to be up here telling you this, but the numbers don't lie. Those are the facts. And we can try to cover them up like a check engine light. We can, we can try to do that, but, but we've got to deal with these numbers. So why do I show you these? Well, if we were a business and those were financial numbers, we'd be in big trouble, right? I mean, a bunch of check engine lights going off. And our currency is not, num not, 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 a, not financial numbers. Our currency is people here at Central. And those numbers represent people. Those numbers represent lives changed for the gospel, people coming to faith, people being discipled and being changed. 
So, okay, so then what's our check engine light? What's our problem? If you go back to that verse, the Bible says that we're, we should no longer live for ourselves, but instead we should live for, for Jesus. I think what happens to a lot of churches is that we, we get okay with being okay. And when you get okay with being okay, pretty soon you're not okay. That is, that's what happens in a church. And when we moved into this facility, man, this place is awesome. The things we're doing here are great. And we're doing some amazing ministry. But, you know, sometimes we, we do something that's very difficult. It takes a lot of faith. And we, we get to that point and we, we do it and we're like, oh, how we're done. Right? We got here. We have arrived. And what has happened is, whether we've realized it or not, sometimes we've just become okay with being okay. That's what the Bible is saying here. When we kind of live for ourselves, we just become okay with doing church for ourselves. We just want to do church and not be the church. Sometimes we ask what's in it for me instead of what can I do to help. We're concerned about music styles and the, the temperature of our Sunday school classroom while there are people who are lost driving by us right outside our door who are looking for hope. We want our church to be comfortable. We want it to be, you know, how it used to be. And yet Jesus, he's calling us to do something different. Let me take you to Luke chapter 9. And I want to just to, to read this little passage that is pretty inspiring for us. In Luke chapter 9, these people came up to Jesus and it says that another man came up to him and said, and, and Jesus said, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the bury, de- bury their dead and uh, bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, God, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What he's saying here is that Jesus' followers can't have divided interests. Like a farmer who is plowing, looking ahead at where he's going, and then turns around and looks behind him. Right? That's, that's divided interests. And when a church has divided interests, what happens is they end up being stagnant and they end up dying. Dying interest between living for ourselves and living for God. And so as your pastor, here's what I have to say to you as we close. And it's this, that something has to change. Do you want to be a biblical church? We've been looking at it for the last several weeks, talking about a lot of different things that, that we've been doing. But, but really the secret ingredient for a biblical church is a willingness to change. A willingness to change from living for yourself to instead doing whatever it takes to win people for Christ and to disciple the saved so that there is both, both breadth and depth within our church. Church, I, I believe it's time for us to change. I believe with all my heart that, that God's not done with this church. I believe with all my heart, that, heart that, that our best days are not behind us, but our best days are ahead of us. As a staff, we have been wrestling with these numbers for the last several months. It's been a struggle, but you can't, you can't take those numbers and, and push them aside. But I believe our best days are ahead. There is hope for us. 
This is my feel-good part of the sermon, okay? There is hope for us. There's hope for us because we as a church, we have the resources, don't we? We have the resources to change and to be different and to grow. We have the people. Look at you in here. We have the people. We have the staff. We have the plan. We have the ability to grow. But guess what? God has also given us a new vision for our church, a new vision that is going to take us into the future. Our staff, for the last several months, we've been wrestling with this. We've been praying and seeking the Lord. And I've been doing that personally in my study. And God has given, we've been sitting on this for months, okay? <laughs> sitting on it. God has given us a new vision for Central. I'm not telling you it today. You got to come back to next week, okay? So if you have plans next week, cancel them, okay? Be here. Because God has something special to tell all of us next week about how he is going to grow this church, not for us, but for him and for his glory. Would you pray with me?